Our Father, we bow before You, for we know that You have created us for the very purpose of worshiping You. We thank You for the opportunity that we've had already this morning to sing praises unto Your name, to pray to You, knowing that You are a holy, holy, holy God, knowing that You are a God that rules over all this world, and that You are bringing all things about to bring honor and glory to Your name. We thank You, Father, for the great salvation that You have brought about through Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You, Father, that He, in His glory and honor, came to this earth and humbled Himself to be born of a woman and to live a righteous and godly life so that He might give us His righteousness, but also to willingly go to the cross there at Calvary and to pay our penalty, to pay for our sin so that we might come into Your presence. We thank You, Father, for His death, burial, and resurrection. We thank You, Father, that He came to establish His kingdom and that He rules over His kingdom even at this very moment. And we pray, Father, that You would be pleased to teach us of this kingdom so that we might be able to rightly know of it and that we might rightly pray for Your kingdom to come. Father, we thank You that You have given us Your Word which instructs us of your greatness and our duty as far as serving you. We pray that you would guide us by your Spirit this day. Fill us with your Spirit. Give us wisdom and knowledge to rightly apply your truth to our life. We pray for the salvation of sinners throughout the world this day. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, we pray that many would be brought into your kingdom. We thank you that your kingdom continues to grow and extend throughout this world. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted for their faith, Father. Protect them and watch over them and give them the strength to stand boldly in the face of death. We pray also, Father, that you would be with those unable to be with us this day. You know their reasons and their needs, and we pray that you minister to them so that they might join us soon again for worship. We pray for those who need healing upon their bodies. We know, Father, that you are the great physician and that you are able to restore health if it's your will. And we pray that we would be submissive to whatever that will might be. We pray also, Father, for those who travel. We ask that you give them safety and that you bring them back to us quickly. Watch over them and protect them. We continue to pray, Father, that your gospel would advance in this world into this dark world of wickedness and we continue to pray for an awakening to take place in our day to bring honor and glory to your name and we pray all of this in the name of Christ and for his sake amen turn with me again to Matthew chapter 6 and we will read verse 9 and 10 Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 and 10 In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through a messenger, that messenger being my wife, I was asked to elaborate on the last statement that I made last week in my sermon. Now, I know all of y'all remember that last statement, right? So I don't need to quote it. Well, let me quote it because I know I myself even had to go back and look at the last statement. The last statement was, we must deny self to truly pray. Self cannot be first in our heart when we pray, if we are to pray in truth. Now, in one sense, every time we pray, we're praying for self, right? I mean, there's something that we want, and you could say in one sense that is selfish. But not all times is it selfish. We have to examine ourselves because everyone has a chief love in their heart. Either a love for only self, 
or love for the true and living God. Now, we love things either for self or for God. Does that make sense to you? You love things either because you love God or you love things only because you love yourself. We love others either for our self-gratification or we love others for God. We love our religion either for, again, ourself or for God. Do you see that everything that we do, feel, or think is either done for selfish reasons or out of a love for God. Now, if we have not denied self, or if we do not deny self daily as Jesus instructs us, our prayers will be self-centered. And if our prayers are self-centered, guess what? God doesn't hear them. Our prayers must be God-centered. What was wrong with the Pharisee in the parable of the Pharisee and the publican? He prayed selfishly. But the publican prayed as a broken man. His heart was broken over his sin. The Pharisee had a religion of self-effort. Do you see the importance of denying ourselves in order to pray biblically? Out of a love for God, not out of a love for self. And only this happens as a result of grace. If we have been saved by grace and if the Holy Spirit is working in our heart, as we pray, we will be full of God, full of the Spirit instead of full of self. And we're willing to submit to God's will. But if we are full of self, we'll be just like the Pharisee praying idolatrous prayers, praying so that men applaud us instead of look to Christ. So our prayers must be God-focused, looking at His glory out of a love for Him. That's why Jesus prayed, Thy will be done. And likewise, we must pray, God, Your will be done. Prayer either comes from a heart changed by grace that desires God to be exalted, that desires God's will, that comes from a heart that loves God, or they will come from self. Looking to receive something from God as a selfish benefit. For instance, take Hannah's prayer. Hannah wanted a child. Now, that desire could be for selfish reasons or for God-honoring reasons. We see her desire for a child was what? God-honoring, right? I mean, all you have to do is read her prayer. And then also read her prayer after God blessed her with a child. And what did she do with that child? She said, Lord, I will give you this child. I will dedicate this child for you. This will be your child. And we see that she fulfilled that vow that she made with God. That was a righteous prayer. That was not a selfish prayer. That was a God-honoring prayer because she wanted to use her child to bring honor and glory to God. So the question we have to ask ourselves when we come to prayer, what is the reason behind my prayer? Is The reason behind my prayer is because I love God and I want to exalt God. And every prayer request that I ask of God, I want it to be pleasing to God. And that whatever God does as far as answering my prayer, it's submissive to His will. If He chooses not to give me that which I want, then I know that's best for me. And therefore, I accept it submissively. Now, keeping these truths in mind, we come to this second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Selfish thinking of the kingdom is that it's all about me. Now, here in this prayer it says, thy kingdom, thy will. See, if you don't learn anything else from this study of the Lord's Prayer, learn this one thing. Prayer must begin 
with acknowledging the one to whom we pray. In other words, it's all about God. It's not all about me. It's all about God, and we must keep that in mind. We have to understand that God is the one that rules, that God has a plan, and that God is bringing this plan about, and He's even using our prayers to bring this plan about. But yet, we live in a world that is consumed with self, that it is all about me. That's all this world is concerned about. And this is why so many lives are so messed up in our day. They've been taught to think that everything evolves around them. And their mindset is, it's your responsibility to make me happy. Well, that's not what Scripture teaches us. Last week I was talking to a pastor and he, he shared that a lady came to him in his church and she said, Pastor, pray for my son. Pray that God would make him happy. That was the wrong request she had. No, she should have been saying, God, Pastor, pray for my son. Pray that God would save him and make him holy, not happy. And we have to understand that God is the author of our salvation. And that if we have salvation, then there will be joy in that salvation. But the sad thing about it is that this mindset has even come into the minds of many churches and they bow down to this idea of happiness, that everybody needs to be happy. It involves finding out what the people want and giving it to them. There's a church that many of you know about, Saddleback. And what the pastor did, he went door to door asking people, what do you want in a church? And he produced it. It's the second largest Baptist church there is. People flocked to it because it pleased self. It made self happy. And he has his little kingdom, but let me tell you something, it's not God's kingdom. For God's kingdom isn't based upon man's idea of what a church ought to be. God's kingdom is based upon what the scripture says. And when you base a church upon what man's idea is, it begins to drift away from the truth. And this church has drifted away from the truth. One of the big discussions at the Southern Baptist Convention last year in this church promotes it is, because they've already done it, it's ordaining women to be pastors. Well, this book clearly points out that a woman cannot be a pastor. And that's not in any way demeaning a wife or a woman. Oh, there's other things much important for them to do. But yet, again, when you begin to deviate from what God's Word says, it carries you down a slippery slope. And until the church is revived and turns back to God's Word for all of its worship and its duties and its answers, it will continue to drift away from the truth. And Revelations, Christ tells us, and I will spew it out of my mouth. A new reformation is needed in our day. God's truth must be proclaimed from the pulpit. Biblical worship of God must be emphasized today. Not programs, not activities, or even outreach. Until biblical worship is supreme, God will not bless it. We have to understand that God blesses only that which exalts Him. It's not all about us. It's all about God. Now this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, makes this clear. In each of these petitions, it's clear. And each petition is connected to the other one, and Jesus gives us the right order. And it starts with God our Father, as we saw last week. Hallowed be your name. And then it's connected to this one, which we're looking at this week. Thy kingdom come. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones speaks of this. Some of you have already uh, gone ahead and read on the back of the order of worship what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about the connection there. Don't do it now if you haven't done it. Wait till after church and do it then. But the shorter catechism is right. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So the heart of a child of God desires to please God by exalting God, exalting His name. And God's grace moves us to praise Him and to adore Him, to adore His name in our prayer due to the work of grace in our life. Now Jesus also taught the disciples that they are to pray for the coming of God's kingdom. For God's name will not be glorified, God's name will not truly be sanctified throughout the world until the kingship of Christ is recognized and acknowledged. Now to understand this second petition, we need to define the kingdom of God. A general uh, definition refers to His sovereign rule over everything that is spiritual and physical as far as the spiritual and the physical realm. Now the Psalms often refer to this. We read Psalms chapter 2 just a moment ago that refers to this. Psalms 47, 7 and 8 says, For God is the King over all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nation. God sits on His holy throne. Psalms 93, 1 and 2. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty, clothed with cloth. And He girds Himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Now when speaking of God's kingdom, His reign in this sense, it cannot increase or decrease. For it's based upon His nature and His character. His kingdom in this sense cannot come For in that sense, it's already established. It's established forever and ever. So that particular aspect of the kingdom is something that has already come. So it's not speaking, Jesus is not speaking of that aspect of the kingdom of God. The second uh, petition is speaking of God's kingdom of grace. Established by Jesus... And all that He accomplished here in this earth, and in the sense the kingdom reaching back to the Old Testament, because we see that it was prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That He would send one, that He would send one that would do what? Crush the head of Satan and be victorious. So the second petition focuses on the gospel of grace in the new covenant age. And it climaxes what? When? With the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. Listen to what one theologian says. The gospel is itself, above all, the announcement that God's promised rule has now begun in and through the work of Jesus the Messiah. So the disciples were thus encouraged to pray that what was begun in the ministry of Jesus, what they have now begun to participate in and may experience it all in its fullness. So they were a part of what was transpiring. They were a part of the establishment of Jesus' kingdom. Now in the Old Testament, many great promises were made regarding the victory of the Messiah. And the Messiah's kingdom, it was pronounced in the Old Testament that it would be coming. Yet the Jews grossly misunderstood these prophecies. What did they expect? They thought an earthly king like King David, that he was going to be the Messiah. And we see that in Jesus when he's recognized. And and we see that the triumphant entry there into Jerusalem and and the palm leaves and singing uh, praises unto Jesus. They thought that he was coming to set up his earthly kingdom there in Jerusalem. But they were wrong. Now first, we need to see that the kingdom of grace 
established by Jesus is very different from that Jewish mindset. And there's three aspects that we need to understand so that we might be able to rightly pray for the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom, we have to understand, is absolute in the sense of Jesus' redemptive work. That work has already been completed. That work was victorious. He attained our salvation. And in its fullest sense of that term, it has already been accomplished. It was accomplished when? 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago when He came. John the Baptist proclaimed His coming. Repent. What did he say? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, John the Baptist had been preaching this message, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He calls the people to be ready for it. And when our Lord began to preach, He said exactly the same thing, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In this petition... He obviously has the whole idea of his in his mind as he teaches his disciples to offer this particular prayer. At that immediately immediate historical point, he was teaching his disciples to pray that this kingdom of God should come increasingly and come quickly, but the prayer is equally true and equally right for us as Christians in all ages until the end shall come. So we see that Christ's sacrificial death and glorious resurrection is complete, perfect, sufficient. Therefore, the foundation of the victorious worldwide kingdom, it's not dependent upon man. It's not even dependent upon man's cooperation for success. For Christ has already established His kingdom. Nothing can be added to what Christ has done. So we speak of the kingdom coming in the past tense. Revelation does that. Describing the kingdom has already arrived. Revelation 12, 9 and 10 says... So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So John is speaking of the victory over the dragon, Satan, and taking place before the end of history and being receiving a devastating blow. That was in the middle of history. When did that take place? When did Satan receive a devastating blow? When did it happen? I hope you know. It happened at Calvary, folks. Christ crushed the head of Satan at Calvary. Jesus Christ defeated him. And Paul elaborates on the work of Christ in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. He's referring to what is said in Psalm 68, 18. And he states this, when Jesus ascended on high, he led captives and gave gifts to men. So Paul teaches that Jesus first descended, where? Descended in his death into the grave, he was buried, and then Ephesians 4, 9, then he ascended above all and he led captives out of captivity, which what? which demonstrates to us that He has authority over death. That He has all authority. What does the Scripture tell us about Jesus and His authority? All authority has been given to Him. Therefore, He's King of kings and Lord of lords. So when we pray for the kingdom of grace, the kingdom to come, we pray with hope. We pray with full assurance. 
For this has come and will come in its fullness, of course, at His second coming. So these truths were clearly proclaimed by Jesus. Jesus says quite clearly in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, what? Surely the kingdom of God has come upon me. Did Jesus' children? Children. Did Jesus cast out demons? Yes, He cast out demons. And what does it tell us? Then the kingdom has come. You want proof whether the kingdom has come or not? Look in the Bible and see if Jesus cast out demons. Well, we know quite clearly Jesus cast out demons. Therefore, the kingdom has come. Notice in chapter 16, verse 28. He says, Surely I say to you, There are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. He's speaking to His disciples and He says, Some of you are not going to taste death until you see the kingdom come. Did they see it? Most surely they saw it. They saw the resurrection. They saw what happened. They were able to speak to Him. We see that in uh, the book of Acts. So therefore He says the kingdom has come. Now, second, the kingdom also is progressive and grows throughout history. We have a parable, that parables of a mustard seed. And Jesus speaks about that mustard seed. It's planted the smallest of seeds, and it grows into what? It grows into a great tree. Now, this, of course, is speaking of the gospel. And the gospel began where? The gospel began there in Jerusalem, and it spreads to the end of the earth. Now, this is one of the reasons why we pray, and this is one of the reasons why Jesus told the disciples to pray for the kingdom to come. But it must be accompanied by the preaching of the gospel and discipling the nations. We have to realize that the church has always been in a battle. It's been in a war. It's warring against darkness. We see Paul talks of this in Ephesians chapter 6 about the weapons, the spiritual weapons, that we war against principalities of the air. We war against demons. These are the things that we are at battle with there in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. So we go into the world... We go into the world with light, which is the gospel, which Jesus Christ. And the light exposes darkness. Let your light shine before men. Our Sunday school teachers, they teach our children what? To sing. Hold up that finger. Y'all remember that, children? I remember when I was a child. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's what we're to do. We're to let our light shine in the darkness. But we also realize that as we let our light shine, we storm the gates of hell. Gates are what? Defensive. You put a gate up so people don't come in, right? And it says here that we are to storm the gates of hell. So therefore, this world is in a defensive mode. We are to be in what? An offensive mode. We are to be storming into the darkness, calling men to repentance. To look to Christ for forgiveness. Some of you may have heard of Dr. John MacArthur's letter that he sent to Governor Newsom there in California this past week. I believe it was this past week he sent it, maybe earlier, but it was posted this past week. And this is what we need to do. We need to be bold and speak out like he did. Let me share some of his letter. MacArthur writes, Sir, Almighty God says in His Word, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Scripture also teaches it is the chief duty of any civil leader to reward those who do well and punish evildoers. You have not only failed in that responsibility, you routinely turn it on its head rewarding evildoers and punishing the righteous. The Word of God pronounces judgment on those who call evil good and good evil. And yet many 
of your policies reflect this unholy, upside-down view of the honor and morality. This diabolical effect of your worldview are evident in statistics of California's epidemic of crime, homelessness, sexual perversion like homosexual and transgenderism, and other malign expression of human misery that stems directly from corrupt public policies. I don't need to itemize or elaborate on the many immoral decisions you have perpetrated against God and the people of our state, which have only exasperated these problems. Nevertheless, my goal in writing this is to not contend with your policies, but rather to plead with you to hear and heed what the Word of God says to men in your position. Let all kings bow down before Him. All nations serve Him. He who rules over men righteousness, who rules in fear of God as a light of the morning when the sun rises. It is an abomination for kings to commit wicked acts, for a throne to establish on righteousness. What God has said is a truth you should take heart. I am the Lord and there is none other. Besides me there is no God. I will gird you though you have not known me. That man may know from the rising and the setting of the sun that there is only one God. I am the Lord and there is no other. In September You revealed to the entire nation how thoroughly rebellious against God you are when you sponsored billboards across America promoting the slaughter of children whom He created in the womb. We have one here in Mississippi that He put up. You further compounded the wickedness of that murderous campaign with with a rehensible act of gross blasphemy quoting the very words of Jesus in Mark 12, 31, as if you could somehow twist his meaning and arrogate this, his name in favor of butchering unborn infants. You use the name and the words of Christ to promote the creo amolek. It shall be hard to imagine a greater desecrate. Furthermore, You chose words from the lip of Jesus without admitting that in the same moment He gave the greatest command, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You cannot love God as He commands while aiding the murder of His image bearers. Psalms 50 16 through 19 speaks to the people who perverted the word of God for their sinful deeds. But to the wicked God said, What right have you to recount my statues and take my covenant into your mouth? For you hate discipline and yet cast my word behind you. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you associate with the adulterers. You let your mouth loose in evil and your harness your tongue with deceit. My concern, Governor Newsom, is that your own soul lies in grave eternal peril. Each one of us will give an account to God. One day, not very long from now, you will face that reality. Nothing is more certain. It is appointed for man to die once and after that comes the judgment. You will stand in the presence of a holy God who created you, who is judge. He will demand that you give an account for how you have floutered His authority in your governing and how you have twisted His holy word to rationalize. When you look ahead of you and see that nothing awaits but eternal misery, the just punishment for your sins. What will all of the clever rationalization and the political talking points avail for you? And then it will be too late for any remedy or redemption. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of God. My plea to you, sir, 
is that you would not let it come to that. That you would not go to the day of judgment apart from receiving forgiveness and righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ alone. In Psalms 50, after rebuking the wicked and uttering God's word in profane way, Scripture makes this promise. Now consider this. You who forget God, lest I tear you into pieces, there will be none to deliver. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies me. And he who orders his way, I shall show the salvation of the Lord. So there is salvation in those who repent. Our church and countless Christians nationwide are praying for your full repentance. Please respond to the gospel. For sake of the wicked you have pursued all your life, turn to Christ, ask for forgiveness, and use your office to advance the cause of righteousness instead of undermining it. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous man be his thoughts. And let him turn to the Lord and He will have compassion on him to our God for He will abundantly pardon. Governor Newsom, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Pray that God would use that letter to convict this wicked man to bring him to repentance. But we need to be just as bold as John MacArthur has been, and we need to speak the truth in love to those who we come in contact with. We must boldly proclaim the truth. And let me say, I believe that in the future there will be greater persecution. We are seeing that already in other countries. We see that already in Canada. I don't know whether Dirk plans on going back to Canada and preaching, but if he does, we definitely need to pray for him because the things that are happening up there are much worse than what's happening here, and what's happening here is bad. Preachers are being put into prison for teaching the truth and preaching the truth. But yet Christ's kingdom continues to grow. And as the church is persecuted, it will grow even more fervently. As Tertullian said, he was an early church father in the second century, and he coined this term. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And how true that is. A pastor this week was sharing with some of us pastors about his work in his state there in India. And he was sharing how the new government has made laws so that they might persecute Christians. And a number of pastors have already been put to death there in his state because of their Christianity and preaching the gospel. He said even his own mentor who had taught him has been put to death. It's happening, folks, throughout the world. But yet the gospel continues to bring sinners to Christ. We see even in China, that communist country that continues to persecute Christians and pastors and destroy the house churches continues to grow. The gospel prospers there in China. It has been stated that if the continued conversions continue there in China, by the year 2040, There will be more Christians in China than all of the world put together. Now that's encouraging, folks. Why is it happening? Because the church is being persecuted there in China. And it may come to where God chooses to persecute the church here in America so that the church might again turn back to the truth and continue to grow. Third, the kingdom is also eschatological. Futuristic, in other words. A complete victory in time on earth doesn't occur until when? Until the coming of Christ. At that time, all opposition to Christ's throne will be crushed forever. All the forces of darkness, whether spiritual beings or men, are cast into the lake of fire, as Ephesians 20 13 through 15 says, 
and the wicked will cry out for stones to fall upon them, yet every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now my second major point I want to speak to how His kingdom of grace comes. I've already stated that it comes throughout history by the preaching of the gospel in the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the discipling of the nations by teaching them the whole counsel of God, the progressive sanctification and the progressive sanctification. See, God's kingdom grows and is strengthened by King Jesus judging and subduing His enemies. See, the gospel continues to conquer nations, as I just mentioned a moment ago, by raising up Christian churches to proclaim the truth. We've seen it throughout the ages, throughout church history. There was Augustine, there was Athanasius, there was Whitcliffe, Huss, Tyndale, Calvin, Luther, Knox, Whitfield, Edwards. We could go on and on and on of great men that God has chosen to raise up to make a great impact upon society and His church as well. Therefore, when we pray for the furtherance of Christ's kingdom, we must pray these following things. First, we must pray that sin and iniquity would be subdued and replaced by godly behavior. Those are things that we need to pray for. We'll look at that more in depth when we get to that particular uh, phrase, that particular petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's what we're to pray for. That sin and iniquity would be subdued and replaced by godly behavior. For God to enlighten our minds to any violation of His Word in thought and in deed. So therefore, we're praying for that we, we will be convicted of our heinous sins. That God would reveal to us where we need to grow in sanctification so that we might repent of our sins and confess our sins. See, the kingdom of God must begin with us putting off the deeds of darkness and replacing them with ongoing acts of righteousness. And this must occur so that our light might shine before men. I mean, if we're no different from the world, what is going to attract the world to Christ? How is Christ going to use us to be light in this world if we're no different from the world? Thomas Watson said, When grace comes, there's a kingly government set up in the soul. Grace rules the will and the affection and brings the whole man into subjection of Christ. Its king is in the soul sways the scepter, subdues rebellious lust, and keeps the soul in a spiritual decor. Now, I hope if you're a Christian, that's your desire. I hope your desire is to be more and more Christ-like. Now, we also pray that Christ's church would increase, increase in sanctification, And that we would see that we are always reforming. That we will never reach it here on this earth. That we will always be reforming. If we're not reforming, guess what we're going to be doing? We're going to be declining. If we're not reforming, we're going to be declining spiritually. And that's what's happened to the church today. And this is so important. The church must not lose its saltiness in our day. I mean, how will a pagan country be transformed? God's means is through the visible church to advance the cause of Christ, to advance His kingdom into the world. If the church becomes corrupt in its worship and in its doctrine and in its discipline, it cannot be a city set on a hill. 
If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under by men's feet, is what Jesus said. So if a church imitates the world, and there's churches today, many of them that are imitating the world, they cease to be the church. And they become, as Revelation says, a synagogue of Satan. Now, that may sound hard, but folks, that's Scripture. I'm just simply quoting Scripture. When a church ceases to be the church, when it imitates the world, it becomes the synagogue of Satan. And Christ's church must be a praying church, praying constantly for reformation, praying for revival, praying for an awakening. It must never accept sin of any form, fashion, but stand against all sin. Now the world may say these things are no longer sin, but the church cannot say that. If it was sin 2,000 years ago, if it was sin 6,000 years ago, it's still sin today. I don't care what society says, folks. And we must likewise tell that to people that we come in contact with. I mean, today the world will tell you what. Now look, we've evolved. We're so much smarter than those things. You know, those things, they were looked upon, these people who were foolish in their thinking as sin. Those are not sins anymore. Well, that's not what God's Word says. God's Word, which is everlasting and unchangeable and inspired, calls it sin. And we must call it sin as well. And as I've already mentioned, we will be persecuted for that. It will even be considered as hate speech. Some of you may have seen the news this past week where 21 out of 22 students there in Vermont walked out of the room. Why did they walk out of the classroom? Because the professor had the gall to say there's only two sexes. How ridiculous. What have our kids been taught? To get up and walk out of the classroom because the teacher simply states biology, the truth of biology, that there's only two sexes. Folks, we are in trouble. We're in the South. We don't see it as much in the South as we, it happens in the North. But it's coming our way, I guarantee it, just like everything else has come our way. And we better be ready for it. We better be ready to stand against these ideas that are per- perpetrated in our society. We also must pray for the success of the gospel. Faithfully praying for reformed missionaries and churches, churches to be planted. Also praying for particular individuals to be saved, relatives and and friends, and even those who are enemies, just like Governor Newsom, we, we are to pray for our enemies. We looked at that a number of weeks ago. Pray that evangelism and mission work will be successful. That many from every nation will embrace Christ and submit to His Word and covenant with Him and adopt a biblical worldwide Christianity view. We can pray this prayer with hope and faith. For God has promised such times of gospel victory before the second coming of His Son. Now we look around and we say how dark it is here in America and we say, oh, there's no way. Well, guess what? Every great revival came during dark days. I mean, dark days should give us hope. Wicked days should give us hope. For we know that Christ is a great King and He will be victorious. So therefore, we must pray for that. We must pray with hope and faith that Christ will bring about an awakening in our day. Listen to what Malachi 1.11 says. For from the rising of the sun and even to its going down, My name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord. Now, do you believe that or not? Do you believe that Christ's name will be great? Do you think that that only happens at His second coming? I don't. That's an Old Testament prophecy. Speaking of what's going to happen 
when the new covenant comes. Psalms 86, 9. Nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. If God has promised it, we must pray for it. And this, His promises, will give us encouragement to continue to pray. So we must pray for His kingdom to flourish, to flourish into the entire world as the waters cover the earth. Isaiah eleven nine says, For the earth shall be full of His knowledge. Knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the earth. Now, if you looked at a map, is there more land or more water, children? There's more water. And what is the Scriptures telling? It's saying, as the waters cover the earth, so the knowledge of the Lord will be. I mean, the glorious gospel will transform multitudes, even blasphemers, into worshipers who will glorify God in spirit and truth. God is able to do that. I mean, think of... Christianity at the very beginning. Who was one of the worst? Persecuting Christians. Putting him in jail. Holding the coats so that they might stone Stephen. Who in the world would have thought that Paul would be saved? I mean, even after he was saved, and God said, go and teach. Whoa, wait a minute, God. <laughs> wait a minute. Jesus He's been putting Christians in jail. He's been putting Christians there. And you want me to go to him? He said, he's my servant. I mean, God can save whoever God chooses to save. Even those who have been great blasphemers. I mean, to hear wonderful testimonies how God is able to save the worst sinners. Last week, I know uh, Terry's brother shared his testimony. They went down and, and were part of the service. How, and he shared how God, I mean, here's a man, I think 50, 67 years old, and God has saved him recently in the last part of his life. But God has done it. God has saved someone who was a drunkard. And God is able to save drunkards. God is able to save drug addicts. God is able to save whoever He pleases to save. But it's through the preaching of the gospel. Pray for the overthrow of all foes, forces of darkness through the preaching of the gospel. By Christ's great judgment in history. We must daily petition God to conquer the nations by the sword of the Spirit. That's why Pastor Kerry Kimbrell left this week and, and going to Africa for a month and will be preaching with African pastors' comments. Why do, why do we have African pastors' comments? Why do we raise money for African pastors' comments? So that men can go and can preach the gospel to these men there in Africa and that God might change their heart and that God might raise up men to be solid biblical preachers so that they might turn and go to their churches. God is doing something in Africa, folks. And it's exciting to see what God is doing. I look forward next year to, to going to uh, Malawi and being a part of that and preaching there at, in uh, churches the gospel and teaching pastors. Pray that secular humanism in all its forms would be destroyed. Pray that the false religions would be destroyed. Pray that the Roman Catholic Church would be destroyed. That all would be destroyed and swept off the face of the earth. That liberal sexual agenda will be defeated. Pray that God would raise up many to proclaim the truth. Pray that God would use you to proclaim the truth. And we need people to go in to even our schools. I, I'm thankful that Brad Wheeler is going to be a part of this ministry that will be at Bellhaven, and I hope it goes to all of the different universities here in the Jackson metro area of rightly presenting the gospel. It's been said that 75% of students, and this is students that profess Christianity, 
go off to a university and they become atheists. They deny the faith. 75%, folks. Why is that? Because they're not grounded in truth. They're not coming from good, solid churches. And he's going to go there and he's going to present the truth. Pray for him that he will have an audience there at Bellhaven. That God would raise up students to stand firm on the truth so that they can teach other students. Our universities, they have been spewing out liberals, folks. It's time for our universities to be brought back to the truth so that they might spew out Christians and not liberals. We know that Satan has already gathered his and he's using his to work his kingdom. And at the present time, there's more in Satan's kingdom than in God's kingdom. Satan has gathered a large host of souls, even those who profess to be Christians. But we know that he's already been defeated. The end has been written. That it's only a matter of time before the hellish kingdom is beaten down into history and fully destroyed at the second coming of Christ. Thus, we pray for the Messiah, the Prince who rules by His Spirit with an iron rod to come in power. And we are to pray the pictorial prayers, folks. We looked at that also a few weeks ago. We are to pray that God would destroy our enemies. For the kingdom to advance persecuted and moral enemies of the church must be judged and must be subdued by Christ. John Brown said, It is a prayer that all atheism, infidels, and ignorance, and error, and superstition, and false religions may be banished from this world. And that only living and true God, our Father in heaven, may be worshipped and honored over all the earth. We are to pray that. And then finally, pray for the bodily second coming of Christ. When all sin and evil in us and this world will be routed and removed. This prayer proves our faith that we are looking for and hastening for the coming of the day of the Lord. We pray for the day of the Lord at the end of history, when Jesus will be fully glorified. As Psalms 110, 1 and 2 says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my feet, sit at my right hand, Till I make your enemies your footstool. And that will happen. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemy. The Spirit and the bride says, come. Revelation twenty two seventeen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let us daily approach the throne of God with boldness. The throne of grace. Hallowing God's name and petitioning our Father to bless His church, to bless Christ's church, to spread His kingdom over all the world. Let us learn to labor fervently in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful truths that we find in Scripture pertaining to your kingdom. And we pray, Father, that we would be faithful to pray for your kingdom to come. But we also pray, Father, that not a single person in this room would be found on the outside of that kingdom under the judgment of God. Father, how we pray that your Spirit would open up eyes to see these truths that we are talked about this morning. Would cause them to understand that Christ is King and that everyone, one way or another, either willingly or by the rod of Christ, 
will bow before him. May it be, Father, that those here would bow before him willingly before it's too late, before they would be judged and condemned with the rest of the world, but, Father, that they would willingly submit to him and have a new heart and have a love for him because of thy grace. Oh, how we pray, Father, that your grace would change hearts, that your grace would save sinners, that your grace would bring people into a new relationship with the living Savior. We thank you that Christ is our victorious King, and it's in his name that we pray and for his sake. Amen.